Happy Lord's Day. I know that for the world, today is a very special day because we honor our mothers and we need to honor our mothers, but we're gathered here because we want to honor the Lord and what He has done for us and His salvation that He has offered. And when we think about the Lord, I know that despite what folks have said, when we take a look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, these books are not biographies of Jesus. They do not provide us a portrayal of day-to-day or even year-to-year events in the Jesus life. Instead, they provide us with snapshots simply to prove to us who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And therefore, we're not the least bit surprised to find that we just don't read very much about Jesus' childhood. We see a few snapshots. We see His birth. We see a week or so later as He's taken to Jerusalem and goes through the purification process. We see when He's a toddler and the wise men come to visit at His house. We see when He's twelve as His parents take Him to Jerusalem for the feast. But other than that, Jesus' childhood is covered with a broad sweeping stroke found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. It describes Jesus' childhood as Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And I thought it might be good on the day in which we are thinking about family and we are thinking about mothers, to just take a few moments and talk about one of the roles of motherhood, the roles of parenthood, and recognize that what we find here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 is a great pattern for parenting. A four-pronged approach, four goals that we as parents should strive to accomplish in our children's lives helping them to increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And in so doing, we're going to raise children like Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, I was so excited about this lesson, I sat down and started studying it. And when I got done, the outline was was really kind of a short novella. And so I thought, well, we could preach for you know two to three hours this morning, or I'm going to break it up into two parts. And so we're going to take a look at two of these aspects this morning, and then we're going to come back tonight and look at two more of these aspects tonight. This morning we're going to cover increasing in stature and in favor with men. Tonight we're going to cover increasing in wisdom and in favor with God. I hope that you can be here for both parts of this lesson as we learn these four goals for parenting and really four goals for all of our lives. Before we get into this, would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God and Father in Heaven, we are so thankful that You've allowed us to be here. We're thankful that You've allowed us to worship and honor You in song and in prayer. And Father, we are thankful for this opportunity that we have to look into Your Word, to learn how to be better parents, and by that to be better servants that are raising up servants for You. Father, we pray that You help us to raise our children so that they increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with You and in favor with the world around us. Father, we pray that you help us to understand these principles, help us to know how to live them practically in our lives. 
Father, we pray for those whose parenting days have, have ceased, their children have grown and have left the home. We pray that you would give them comfort. And Father, we pray that if there are any who look back and realize that they did not parent correctly, that they will repent, that they will ask for forgiveness from their children and start from this day forward to teach them your true way. Father, we pray that you be with those who are parenting now, that we'll have the strength, the discipline, the commitment, and that we'll be able to rely on one another to help raise our children so that they glorify and honor you. Father, we recognize that the great purpose for us in raising our children is to declare you to the world through them. And we pray that our children will accomplish that as we teach them how and as we do it as well. Forgive us, Father, because we know we've all sinned. We've fallen short. Even in our parenting, every single one of us have made mistakes. We pray that you help us to overcome and turn away from the tempter's traps. Help us to honor you and live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, of course, the very first thing here we want to look at is increasing in stature. This is probably the easiest or seemingly easiest aspect of parenting. I know that I often joke, if somebody comes to my house and they haven't seen my kids in a long time and and they, oh man, Tessa and Ethan and Ryan, they've just grown. I'll often joke, I, I know, I've tried, but I can't get them to stop growing. Anybody ever said that kind of thing before? Now, you know, we say that thing because we're nostalgic about those younger days and we look back at those days of infancy, not the nights of infancy, but at the days of infancy and toddlerhood, and we think about how cute they were and how precious they were, and, and so we're just nostalgic as we look back at that. But in reality, if any of my children were to stop growing, what would be the first thing I would do? We're heading to the doctor to figure out what's wrong. In fact, I, I know a family in Texas. We, we've met when I held a meeting there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's exactly the problem they've had. They, their child, uh, who is, I, I think, something like two years old now, still looks like he's six to nine months. And they've been to the doctor repeatedly, continually run tests. Because even though we joke about this issue of wishing they would quit growing, that's just not true. We want them to grow. And it, it, it's almost the, the easy part of parenting because as long as we just keep feeding them, what's going to happen? They're going to grow. That just, that's just seemingly what's going to happen. But as we consider this concept of physical growth and growing in stature, I think we need to recognize that there are some responsibilities that we as parents have as we are feeding these kids and as they're growing up physically. In fact, that word translated stature, according to Strong's, is not just used to describe size and physical height and strength, but sometimes it's even used to describe the idea of being a fitting age to accomplish something. And so when we talk about our children growing in stature, we recognize that it's our responsibility to help them grow in maturity that goes along with that stature. And as we consider that, I just want you to think about this. Have you ever, have you ever had to tell some child, I wish you would act your age? Of course we have. And that's kind of what Jesus is talking about. And yet I want you to think a further step on that. Do any of us ever consider it a compliment to say, boy, that child, he acts his age. Have you ever said, if you really wanted to compliment a child, have you ever walked up to him and said, I just got to tell you, I've never seen anybody that acted more their age than you do. Of course not. When we consider compliments, we think about the idea of having a maturity beyond your years. And so as we consider children growing up in stature, that's one of the things that we want to consider. We want to help them mature so that at the very least, 
they're acting their age. But perhaps even a step beyond that, considering the fact that in our society, acting your age may not be as acting as maturely as you ought to. As we consider the idea of growing up in stature, I think there are three responsibilities that we have as parents to help our children as those bodies grow. The very first thing is, we've got to teach our children to care for that growing body. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29. Now, I know that Paul is making an illustration about how husbands are supposed to love their wives. But notice in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29, he describes a principle that he just views as just a natural, common, accepted thing. He says in Ephesians 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. He says no one does this. We all nourish and cherish our own bodies. And I think we as parents, as our children's bodies are growing, we've got to teach our children how to nourish and cherish those bodies properly. Now, I realize that what I'm about to share with you is not a highly spiritual point. But I just want to share with you as parents, I think this is our responsibility. When we consider this, parents, we've got to teach our children about hygiene for these growing bodies. Uh, You know, I, I almost want to ask the teachers, have you ever had someone in your class that you could tell the parents didn't teach them about hygiene? Uh, you know, we've got to teach our children about taking baths, about things as mundane as shaving and cutting their hair. And, and yes, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to actually say this from the, from the lectern here, but even about using deodorant. Uh, we've got to teach our kids these things. Our kids don't come out of the womb knowing how to take care of these growing bodies. We as parents need to sit down and talk to them about that. It's going to include issues of hygiene, but it's also going to include issues of health. We've got to teach our children issues of health regarding nourishing and cherishing their growing bodies. Why is it that we constantly hear on the news of the, of the rising rates of childhood obesity? I'll tell you why. It's because we as parents are not teaching our children how to nourish and cherish those bodies, and mostly because if you're like me, we're not doing it ourselves. Instead of nourishing and cherishing our bodies, we're indulging our bodies. We as parents, as we raise up these kids with these bodies and, and these growing bodies, we've got to teach them how to take care of them. We've got to teach them about health. We need to teach them about exercise. We need to teach them about the dangerous things, like the dangers of smoking and the dangers of drinking alcohol and the dangers of taking drugs. We've got to teach these things so that they can nourish and cherish their, these growing bodies as they grow in stature. But there's a second aspect of this teaching. We've got to teach them how to accept adult responsibility. As these bodies get bigger, as these bodies change, as they grow from childhood to adulthood, our children have to learn how to accept adult responsibility. Now that they're bigger, they've got to learn how to accept bigger responsibility. Once again, we're going to look at one of Paul's illustrations. I understand that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is actually talking in context about the church maturing and about the use of miraculous gifts, but he gives an illustration. And his point is only made because of the truth of the illustration. He says there in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We've got to teach our children as they grow how to give up childish ways. I think we can all recognize anecdotally that in our culture, childhood is lasting longer 
and longer. We have children that get into their 20s and sometimes even their 30s that have yet to figure out what they want to do with their lives, that have yet to found independence and continue to rely on their parents to support them. We've got to teach our children as they grow to take on adult responsibility. They've got to mature. And so, fathers, we've got to take time to teach our boys as they grow how to be men. We've got to teach them what Ephesians 5, 28 and 29 says, to teach them how to nourish and cherish their wives responsibly. We've got to teach them what 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 says about the fact that if a person won't provide for his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever. We've got to teach our children what it says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 4 about their responsibility to show godliness to their parents and their grandparents, making a return to them. We've got to teach our children what it says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, to go to the ant, you sluggard, and see what it's like to work, to be disciplined, to be industrious, and to take responsibility. We've got to teach our boys how to be men and mothers. We've got to teach our young girls as they grow how to be women. We can take them to Proverbs chapter 31 and show them that that worthy woman whose worth is far above rubies or jewels and how she worked industriously, how she managed the home, how she did good to her husband, how she prepared for emergencies, how she blessed the Lord. We've got to teach our young ladies how to be women. We've got to train our children up so that they can accept adult responsibility. Because when they are adults, that's what they're supposed to do. They're not supposed to keep coming home and us taking responsibility for them. We've got to remember that. That's the goal of parenting. To raise them up so they'll leave and be adults. The third thing here, and perhaps this is... I think this third one is probably really covered in the other two, but considering our society and our culture, considering our society and our culture, I think we have to specifically talk about this for just a moment. When it comes to the increase in stature, when it comes to those growing bodies, we've got to prepare our children for issues of sexuality. And we just have to say this very specifically and very bluntly. We understand that as our children grow, and I, I got to tell you, I am petrified because y'all know how old my daughter is. We're about to get here. Bodies start changing. And who do you think it needs to be to teach our children about that? Our schools, their health teachers, Bible class teachers, parents. It needs to be us that teach our children about the changes they're going to go through to teach our children how to deal with those changes, and to teach those children how to live with those changes once they're done. It is our job, parents, to teach our children the role of sexuality in their lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. 
But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. So the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, Excuse me, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We need to teach our children about the proper place of sex and sexuality within marriage. We need to teach our children about the improper places of sex and sexuality, about the abuses and the misuses, as Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Hebrews 13 and verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. We've got to teach our children about the proper use of sex and sexuality. And let me please provide you with just a, a piece of encouragement and advice, something that, that, that I think I've determined about the role of sex and sexuality. Sadly, sadly, Satan has convinced the world, and too often... Christians have bought into this mindset and mentality that we view sex as all that forbidden prize that when you're finally married, you finally get to have. And I don't know how many young people I've heard raised up with that mindset that say, I can't wait to get married so that I can have sex. And how many of those people that made that statement demonstrated that it was true, that they couldn't wait to be married to have sex. Because, you see, with that mindset, we have misunderstood. Satan has convinced us that the blessing of marriage is sex. Brethren, that is just not true. The blessing of marriage is union and completeness. The blessing of marriage is finding another person with which you can be joined together mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And have that union and that completeness that you can't have with anyone else. And sex, the act, is merely a physical representation and celebration of that greater union. Sex, when it is the direct result of being united in spirit, in mind, in heart, with your spouse is a source of joy and contentment and happiness. But brethren, we need to teach our children and we need to understand that sex, when it is nothing more than feeding the animal desires and the lusts of the flesh, even if it's with our wife or our husband, it is not the blessing of God in marriage. It is merely a moment of physical pleasure that will do nothing for you long term except leave you hungry, empty, starved, and racing to get your next fix. We've got to teach our children sex is true place in marriage. And just to be honest with you, before we can teach our children that, most of us have to figure it out. Increase in stature. Increase in favor with men. Now, the first one, the, the increasing in stature may be the easiest thing we have to do as parents. Just feed them and they grow up. But this one is probably the one that's most surprising to us. Because we've read passages like Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, where we know, Luke chapter 6 and verse 26, 
Jesus said, Woe to you, and all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. We recognize, oh, oh, I thought we've been told that we're not supposed to have the favor of men. And yet we see Jesus growing up in favor with men. And we might be tempted there to say, well, what that meant was in the favor of the people who were faithful to God. But then we notice a passage like Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, where it shows that the church did the same thing Jesus did, having favor with all the people. And what do we learn from this? We learn that, yes, there are going to be folks that we don't have favor with, but when we're submitting to Jesus and we're raising up our children properly, there's going to be a whole lot of people that they grow in favor with. Now, we need to teach them the limits of that. We need to teach them the fact that when having favor with man contradicts having favor with God, we, don't, we choose God. John 12, 42 and 43, we learn about folks who believed in Jesus, but they loved the glory of men more than the glory of God, so they wouldn't confess Him. In Acts 5 and verse 29, Peter said, we've got to obey God rather than man. So when the favor of man and the favor of God are in competition, God better win in our lives. And we also have to realize what Luke 6, 26 said, and that is that... Just because people like us doesn't mean we're right with God. That's not the standard for how we know we're right with God. We know we're right with God when we do what He says. But having made those caveats, we recognize that if we're raising our children properly, they ought to be growing in favor with men. Folks ought to like being around them. And let me clue something into you parents, especially parents of small kids. If folks don't like being around your kids, they won't like being around you. You begin to wonder why nobody invites you over to their homes. Start taking a look at your kids. I mean, I'm just telling you. I know. I'm a parent. I understand how it works. We want to raise kids that grow in favor with men. And I think this is easy for us to consider, growing in favor with men. All we've got to think about is, well, what kind of kids do we like being around? So I'm just going to share with you. I mean, I, I'm, I can only know what I like, but I'm assuming that if you're like me, you'll say, yep, those are the things that I like seeing in children. So I'd just like to share with you a few things. Number one, we like children who have manners and politeness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, there it talks about love. It says it's patience, it's kind, it doesn't end your boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. We teach our children they're supposed to love, Do we get down to the brass tacks about love and point out that that means you're not rude? You're polite. Say thank you. Say you're welcome. Say please. Teach your children these just basic issues of politeness and manners. Teach them to open the door for other people. Teach them what it means to be polite and mannerly. Because I'll tell you what, anybody else here like to be around kids that are polite and mannerly? No? Okay, they're not raising their hand. It's because they're lying. Of course we do. We like kids, and, and we don't like being around kids that are rude. We don't like being around kids that are constantly interrupting while adults are talking. We want to teach our kids to be polite and learn how to, if they have to break into an adult conversation, know how to do it. So teach your children about those kind of things. The second thing, respect. People like to be around kids. They enjoy being around kids. And kids grow in their favor when they are respectful. Look in Leviticus 19 and verse 32. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 32, the Scripture there says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. There we find God's standard of respect that God expects younger people to respect older people. 
We need to honor the great. And this is important in our society because more and more our older people are respected less and less by our younger people. They're learning that on TV. They're learning that in songs. We've got to teach our children to respect their elders. Just this past week, in fact, I've been going through some parenting videos with some brethren, and, and uh, I got to hear uh, one person's idea of issues of respect. And, and they made the comment that in their culture that, that respecting an adult meant that you would say Mr. or Mrs. and call them by their last name. I recognize that some issues of respect are cultural. Because in my culture, uh, what I, the way I've been raised, and I think here, and, and if you disagree and you want my kids to call you Mr. or Mrs. By, by your last name, you let me know and we'll make sure they do that. But in my culture, it's usually been Mr. and Mrs. by their first name. But I tell you what, in my culture, you don't let kids, you know, my kids aren't going to call Tina Garrett Tina. Uh, could you imagine them walking up to Brother Nash and saying, hey, Charles? I don't even do that, usually. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever the culture is, at least teach your children to address adults with respect. And I'll say this. I don't know of a single culture in which children responding to adults by saying yeah and nah is respectful. It may be becoming the norm, but I don't know anywhere where that's considered respect. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. You want your kid, you know what? Is it a sin for them to say yeah? I don't know. Did you want your kids to be in favor with adults? To, to grow in favor with God and men? Teach them to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. We'll just take a poll. Adults, who do you favor more? Do you favor more kids that say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am? Look around you. Look around. You want your kids to grow in favor with God and man? Teach your children to address adults with respect. Now, here's one. Uh, this is something Reed and I have actually talked about over the past couple of years. In this parenting video, I was talking about the very illustration that they brought up. I want to ask some of the older generation. When y'all used to have potlucks and get-togethers, who ate first? Don, who used to eat first? Adults. Which adults? The older adults. Now, who eats first today? My kids. But you know what, brethren? That's not the kids' fault. They don't know any better. It's parents that are my age who have decided that our convenience is more important than respecting the elderly. Well, it's just too hard for me to make those kids wait till I respect the elders and let them eat. So I ought to get to feed my kids first. And so we wonder why our kids don't respect the elders. Well, they're just following in our footsteps. I think we ought to think about that the next time we have our potluck over here at the, at the place. And that's, that's our fault, parents. We need to teach our kids to respect their elders. Is it a sin for our kids to get their food at the potluck first? I'm not saying that. But I'm just pointing out that we need to teach our children to respect their elders. If we want them to grow in favor. Now, if you don't want them to grow in favor with man, that's okay. Teach them to say yeah and no and not dress them with respect and get first in line before the older people and, and not offer their seat to the elderly. You can teach them all that stuff, but I guarantee you they won't grow in favor with man if you do that. A third thing, kind of akin to that, is respect for property. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, God offered in the Ten Commandments that we should not steal. 
But the greater principle behind that was not just against theft, but about the fact that we need to respect other people's property. In fact, in Exodus 22 and verse 7, that's highlighted even more. It says, If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. And on it goes, talking about a breach of trust and a breach of property. And the whole point there is, is that we're supposed to respect other people's property. When other people's property is in our control, we're supposed to use it properly. We need to teach our children to use other people's stuff properly. They don't vandalize it. They don't misuse it. They they don't mistreat it. And we certainly teach them that if something happens and it gets broken, that they make restitution. And parents, when our kids are young, we just have to understand that if our kids break things, don't hand it back to the parents and say, you know, they're just at that age. Find out how much it costs and pay for it. That's our responsibility when we respect other people's property. That's what we need to do. And we need to teach our children. We need to teach our children how to put things up especially when they're other people's houses. And, and, and before Kurt says it, I'm not going to put up with any, hey, wait a minute, I've seen your kids. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we need to teach our kids, when you're done playing with it, put it up. You get it out, put it away. You break it, fix it, or make restitution. Use it properly. Treat it with respect. Treat other people's property with respect. Putting others first selflessness. Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We've got to teach our children to fulfill this passage, looking not only to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And this is tough, because children are born naturally selfish. I mean, just face it, the moment they come into the world, that everybody is focused just completely on them. And we've got to break that as they grow older. We've got to teach them to move from being child-centered to being other-centered. And that's going to begin in the home. I'm just going to encourage you, don't allow your child to have preeminence in your home. Don't allow your child to run the show. Because if you do, they are not going to understand it when they get out in the real world and nobody else lets them run the show. We've got to teach our children how to be others-centered. And I'll tell you what, this is one big thing. I'll just share with you. Maybe this is a personal pet peeve and folks will say you've gone from preaching to meddling. But i just got to tell you, teach your children not to whine. It is the ultimate expression of selfishness when children don't get their way that they start whining. We've got to teach that out of them. They're going to have it naturally as kids. I understand that. But as they grow, we've got to get that out of them. It is just disgusting to see 18-year-olds still whining. Mom! That's just... We've got to get that out of our kids because that is pure de-selfishness. And we need to teach our children to be selfless, to put others first. So when your children start whining, don't coddle them. Don't give them just what they want. Don't try to make everything all better. Tell them to sit down until they quit whining. And train that out of them. I mean, of course, I mean that, that is if you want them to grow in favor with men. If you want people to enjoy being around them, do that. And finally, teach them to follow the golden rule. We know the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7. 
Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for that is the law and the prophets. And as we consider that, I'll tell you, that's a tough one. And that's really hard. And the reason it's really hard is because of the children, honestly, it's going to seem like a double standard. Let me explain to you how this works. Most of you know that I have three kids. And therefore, when you have three kids, one of the biggest problems that you have is sharing. Those of you that have only one child, you don't really understand that problem. It only comes up when you go someplace else. When you have three kids, it happens 24 hours a day. Sharing. And so, Tessa wants something that belongs to Ethan. And she's bugging him about it, and Ethan's pitching a fit, and they start fighting. And I pull Tessa aside, and I have to tell Tessa, Tessa, you remember the golden What's the golden rule say? She says, well, it, well, whatever you want others to do for you, do unto them. I said, all right. What would you feel like if somebody was bugging you about a toy that was yours and, and you wanted to protect it and you didn't want anybody else playing with it? What would you want them to do? Well, almost always, she says, I want them to leave me alone. I want them to let it go and find something else to play with. I said, so what do you think you should do in this situation? All right, but now let's reverse that. On, on another day, Ethan wants something that Tessa is playing with. And... And he starts bugging her and bugging her and bugging her, and I pull Tessa aside, and you can ask Tessa, I've done both of these. I said, Tessa, now what's the golden rule say? The golden rule says treat others the way you want to be treated. If you wanted to play with somebody else's toy and you asked them, what would you want them to do? I'd want them to share it with me. Then why don't you share it with your brother? My child is now almost 10 years old, and she's old enough to figure out, wait a minute, when it was my toy... He used the golden rule to tell me that I'm supposed to share. When it was Ethan's toy, he used the golden rule to tell me to leave him alone. That's not fair. Well, guys, the golden rule is not about fairness. The golden rule is about empathizing with other people and where they are. And what, I, what we hope to do with that is to help our children understand that on either side of the situation, I need to start thinking, what would I want them to do if, if roles were reversed? And start treating them that way. We need to teach our children to live by the golden rule. Whatever we want others to do for us, do that for them. And they'll grow in favor with men. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and with man. Tonight, we're going to come back together and we're going to talk about increasing in wisdom and increasing in favor with God. Parenting is a growth process. I don't expect anyone to be able to go home today and suddenly, bang, it's all right. In fact, I haven't preached this lesson. I'm not preaching tonight's lesson to tell you, you need to be like me as a parent. You need to have kids like mine. Because as I was studying this lesson over and over again, I thought, wow, have we got work to do in the Crozier house. In fact, that video I mentioned to you earlier, they... uh, they gave this great comment. You know, when your kids embarrass you in front of others, doing something you know they shouldn't have done, and, and uh, most often what do we say? Oh, we're sorry, they're tired. Oh, we're sorry, they're, you know, they're stressed. Oh, we're sorry, you know, that teenage emotional angst. Don't say that. And say, oh, I'm sorry, we're, we're really working on this, and when we get home, we're going to have a talk about this. And so if any of you look at any of the things that I said in the lesson, they say, well, Edwin, I've seen your kids. Let me just go ahead and make the blanket statement. I'm sorry, we are working on all of these things, and believe me, when I get home, the kids and I are going to have conversations on all of them. Okay, we're all working together as parents to grow, and that's, that's what this is all about. 
Parenting is a growth process. Our children are growing. And let's help one another as we try to increase our children in stature, in wisdom, in favor with God and men.